Welcome to Sorry for Apologizing. I'm your host, Missy Modell, activist, strategist, and recovering chronic apologizer. In this podcast, we'll explore all of the ways women have been conditioned by society to play small, whether it's being expected to have children, tolerate chronic pain, or accept gender inequities from orgasms to paychecks. This season, we'll work to challenge the cultural beliefs that brought us here and discuss all of the reasons why we should be asking for forgiveness rather than permission. It is time to stop apologizing. Anti-malarian hormone, or AMH, is a hormone produced by the ovarian follicles, which are small sacs in the ovaries that contain developing eggs. AMH levels can provide helpful insight into a woman's ovarian reserve, or the quantity of eggs remaining. AMH testing is commonly used in fertility clinics to help determine the optimal treatment protocols for IVF or egg freezing. It can be useful in predicting the response to ovarian stimulation medications and guiding dosage adjustments during IVF cycles. It's important to note that while AMH levels can provide valuable information about ovarian reserve, they do not directly indicate a person's ability to conceive or the quality of eggs. Other factors such as age and overall reproductive health also play significant roles in fertility. To learn more about how the CCRM network offers world-class fertility care with compassionate fertility experts and some of the highest success rates, head to ccrmivf.com. Welcome to Sorry for Apologizing. I am joined today by my amazing doctor, Dr. Jamie Notman, who is the Director of Egg Freezing at CCRM Fertility in New York City. Welcome, Jamie. Slash Dr. Notman. <laughs> How are you? By the way, that's an amazing title of a podcast. Thank you. Because I have spent my whole life apologizing and I'm not really sure why. And I think that's amazing. And we're going to figure out what you're sorry for apologizing by the end of this episode. Yeah. Okay, good. You're catching us. I have done my egg retrieval. I am several days out. I did it with Dr. Notman. And a lot of people have been following the journey and just really curious from start to finish what it's really like and who better to task this conversation with than you. So I, yeah. So there was a really interesting quote that egg freezing is the ultimate act of self-care. What would you say to that? I think that's very true. I've been thinking about egg freezing or talking about egg freezing for so many years. The thing that moves me the most about egg freezing is it, it's you doing something for you, right? Mm -hmm. You are saying, I think I may want this in the future. I want to take control. I want to do it for me. I think it's like one of the most badass things somebody can do because it's really putting themselves in the driver's seat, which for so many of us, we don't do. We sort of let life just lead us, go, you know, do whatever. And I think this is really an exceptional time for you to say, this is what I need to do. And obviously there's an age component to it all. So what is the link between age and fertility? Because I think the first thing people want to know when they're even thinking about egg freezing is what is a good age and does it matter when I do it? It's so funny that we're talking today because I'm hosting four high school seniors for a senior internship this week. And I was like, ladies, what have we learned in biology? What do we know about our fertility? And they're telling me about their periods, their hormones. I'm like, why has nobody mentioned what happens to our eggs as we get older? I'm like, everyone is failing. No, I'm like, the reality is, is that as we get older, our fertility declines because our egg quality and our egg quantity goes down. End of story, right? So the older you get, the less eggs you'll have, the lower the quality. The younger you freeze, the better you'll ultimately do in terms of your egg freezing success. So I think it's super unfortunate that we don't learn this in biology class or health class because 
the way we live today is so different than the way our moms and our grandmothers lived. We don't get married, most of us, at 20, 21 and have our first kid at 23, 24. Most of us are pushing that into our late 20s, early 30s, and infertility is already starting to creep in. So we really need to be aware of what happens to our bodies as we get older. And why is 35 the age? Why 35? So it's not really. I mean, so the reason why we've always called 35 advanced maternal age is that was the age at which the risk of chromosomal abnormalities in a pregnancy went up greater than the risk of losing a pregnancy from an invasive procedure such as an amniocentesis. So that was where the line in the sand was sort of drawn. But the reality is we don't stand at the cliff and at 35, someone's pushing you over the edge. You may be pushed over the edge, unfortunately, at 30, or you may not be pushed over until 38. So I always say, yes, 35 is where for most of us, things really start to decline. But the reality is it may decline way earlier. So when would you say is the best age to freeze your eggs? I say late 20s, early 30s. And just so you know, Missy knows I have two daughters who think I'm as they say, cringy all the time, like, mom, you're so cringy. (laughs) But I'm like, you're freezing at 22 because I'm aware of the science. I just, now that's, again, you're talking to a fertility doctor as a mom. But I think if you do this when you're younger, you get so much more bang for your buck Mm. and it's out of your head. Why do you get bang for your buck? Because you can get 10 eggs at 30 are going to last you so much more than 20 eggs at 40. So you're going to go a greater distance with those eggs because the quality is better. So I can do one round of egg freezing at 28 years old, which will amount to a lot more than three rounds of egg freezing Mm. at 38 years old. And what have you seen? And we'll get into rounds a bit later, but is it common to freeze your eggs more than once? It is. I would say 50% of patients require at least two cycles. So let's get into it because that's something I definitely want to talk about, like what it actually is that you're looking for when eggs are frozen. So I'm calling CCRM. I want to book an appointment, what is the first thing you check for? So when a patient comes in, we chat, right? We chat about their reproductive health, their OB, GYN health, their maternal, like mom's history, grandmother's, and their medical and surgical history. Then we do an assessment of their egg quantity. But we can't see eggs. They're microscopic. The only people they can see eggs are the embryologist. So I am looking at their follicles. Those are the shells that hold the eggs. And I'm saying, okay, when I look at these ovaries, do I see five follicles? Do I see 10 follicles? Do I see 20 follicles? Because that will correlate to the number of eggs that they will get when they do an egg retrieval. I will also look at a hormone called the AMH level, which is an egg quantity test that will support what I'm seeing on the ovaries, on the ultrasound. So, okay, you got my baseline. I want to do it. What do I do now? Then we talk about when, because we're all busy. We have like a million things going on. I say you need to find two weeks that you can sort of commit to me or commit to the process. Rather than being like, oh, I'm going to fly to California. I'm going to come back. I'm going to go to Arizona. Find two weeks where you can be here. And those two weeks have to correlate to the start of a menstrual cycle. So if I'm getting day one of my period, July 1st, but I'm planning to go away July 4th to July 12th, that doesn't work that cycle. But if I'm going to be here early August when I get my period, then I would start. So we have you sit with our patient care team and they will map out when is the best time for you to start based on when your period is. And then we start the stimulatory cycle. So we start you taking shots. And what should we expect to not be able to do? Because I think we talk a lot about shots and medicine. What can I do if I'm freezing my eggs and why do I need to be in town? 
Well, when you're freezing your eggs, we have to measure your hormones and we have to look at your ovaries. So we like to see you every two to three days to say, okay, do we need to increase the meds? Do we need to decrease the meds? When's the best time to take out these eggs? So that's why you need to be around so that if we make modifications, you can make them and we can see you. Other than that, you can pretty much live your life, right? You can exercise. You can't jump. You can't run. But you could ride a Peloton. You could do strength training. You could ride the elliptical. This is controversial. But the reality is your eggs are your worst best friend, right? They have been there through everything you've ever done. So they're like, yep, saw you then. Saw you then, right? (laughs) So people are like, I'm not going to drink for two weeks. I'm like, okay. Do whatever you want to do, but that's not going to change the outcome of your egg freezing cycle. Should you get so wasted that you forget to take your shots? Absolutely not. Should you do hardcore drugs? No, we should never do that, right? But the reality is if you're going out with your friends and having a glass of rosé and a bowl of pasta, people think, oh, the pasta is inflammatory. It's going to ruin my egg. That is total BS. So are there any things that are actually true? Things that are not good? Smoking. Cigarettes. Cigarettes are very bad for your ovaries. I mean, cigarettes are bad her whole body, right? But the cigarettes are known to decrease egg quantity. Even vaping, I would assume, because that is... Yes, you should not do any of that. Mm -hmm. And for me, so for my experience, I was about 10 days. Would you say that's a typical cycle? Is that shorter, longer? And how... Because I've had friends that were on estrogen patches and then started the medication. So what are those kind of circumstances that might happen? So the younger you are, the faster you go. You know, I compare my life to a marathon. So I'm like, Running a marathon at 29, you're definitely going to finish sooner than when you do it at 39. So your ovaries are faster. They have like more gusto. So they only need 9, 10, 11 days of meds. And because you're young and your body responds in an appropriate manner, you oftentimes don't need the estrogen patch because you don't get what we call dominant follicles. So we can minimize the time that you're on meds and the extent, the length of time that you're coming to see us when you're younger. As you get older, it's like we need to push, push, push to get you to the finish line. And for medications, I know I was on Menipure and Folistum and I like feel like yep. I'm a doctor by the end of this whole thing. Is everyone typically given the same types of medications, but it's just dependent on the dosage? That's exactly. So there are not many stimulatory medications. There's Folistum and Gondolat, and those are the same. And those are like Coke and Pepsi. They're both what we call pure FSH. And then there's something called Menopure, and Menopure is a mixture of FSH and LH. So pretty much everyone takes Menopure and then either Gondolap or Falsam, whichever the pharmacy sent over to you. You also add in a medication, a third medication that prevents ovulation. So that's either an antagonist, which is Ganorelix or Cetratide, or an agonist, which is Lupron. Because if you don't take something, then you'll ovulate and you'll lose all your eggs. Have you seen that happen? Oh, yeah. But not really anymore because in modern fertility practice, we know to prevent it. And I thought of another thing that people can't be on when they're freezing their eggs. What? Ozempic. Oh, that is very good. (laughs) Yes. So the Ozempic, Mumjaro, Wagobi, whole thing, it's not that it's bad for your eggs, or at least today we don't think it's bad. But what we're seeing is a higher rate of complications from anesthesia. So people are aspirating, that means swallowing their bowel contents and then getting pneumonia. So if you're on Ozempic or Mujara, we're asking you to stop the med two weeks before your egg freezing cycle. So aside from that, what are any potential risks? Are there risks from the medications? Because obviously I went down a deep dive and I'm like, are there risks to breast cancer or uterine cancer? Like, what would you say to that in terms of any potential? There's never been any data that has correlated 
the stimulatory medications to breast or ovarian cancer. And even there's never been any data that shows dose-dependent correlation. So if I do 10 cycles, does my risk or my chances dump, you know, 10%, 10-fold yeah. increase? It doesn't show that. Now, personally, as a doctor, do I like when people start getting into the double digits of cycles? No, because I'm like, I have to imagine that there is some risk. But the medications themselves are not going to cause cancer. The biggest side effect of the medication, and we've spoken about this a lot, is bloating. You're going to be super bloated and you're going to have some transient waking. Yeah, because for me, it's funny. I had bloat start at the end and then after my retrieval, I felt really bloated for like two or three days. And now it's pretty much gone down. Yeah, because it should be getting to the, the worst part should be ending. What is the worst part? So I say it's like climbing a mountain. The day of your egg retrieval is not the worst day. It's the day after and the two to three days there. Like you're going to peak and then you're at like the peak and now you're coming down the other side. So am I at peak if I did it Thursday and it's Monday? You're on the way down the other side. Because I would say Friday, Saturday, Sunday are your worst three days. Monday's the way down. Because I think also the emotions for me is something I didn't expect. Like I feel much better. I had very minimal cramping, to be honest. Like the day of and the day after bloating uncomfortable, but now I feel very low, like super depressed. Well, that's progesterone. So the hormone that makes us all feel sort of crappy, sort of depressed is progesterone. Mm -hmm. And after your egg retrieval, you're not dominated by estrogen anymore. You're dominated Mm -hmm. by progesterone. So people always say, oh, I felt great on the shots. I'm like, of course you did because it was tons of estrogen. It's when the progesterone sets in that you're like, oh God, this is terrible. And I kind of bypass the whole retrieval part. So once you decide you're ready so that we have a trigger shot, right? You have those eight to nine days of shots and then you decide that the follicles are big enough to retrieve eggs. Then what happens? So then once we decide, okay, we're good to go, we give you what's called the trigger shots. The trigger shots are meant to trigger maturation of the eggs. The eggs have to complete the final stage of development so that they can ultimately be fertilized by a sperm down the road. So that happens 35 hours before the procedure. And then we extract your eggs in the operating room 35 hours later. And what is the procedure? So you go to sleep like you would for a colonoscopy or an endoscopy. We use a vaginal ultrasound. We thread a needle. Through the ultrasound, we puncture the vaginal wall, we go into the ovary, and that's how we get the eggs out. Like a little vacuum cleaner? Exactly, like a suction device. A little suction device. So what does maturation mean? Because I got, and I haven't revealed this yet, I got 13 eggs, but then 10 were mature enough to freeze. So number one, is that good? It is perfect. You got an A+. I got an A+. Yes. Yes. Because we were nervous because I didn't know because my AMH was a little low and you thought I was maybe going to get eight. Well, no, you said you were hoping for double digits. So why were you hoping for that? Because I was hoping that your ovaries would actually, at the end of the day, respond a little bit more robustly than your AMH showed. Because looking at your ovaries, I was like, you know, I think she's a little higher than this AMH level. One thing with being an experienced clinician is I've seen thousands upon thousands of ovaries. So I can sort of sometimes say, eh. I think the AMH was a little low. I think the AMH was a little high. So I thought, I think she'll be able to get there. And then I hoped that you would get a good percentage of mature eggs, which you did. So are there guarantees to this? So I got 10 eggs. What does that mean for people? Because a lot of people ask me, okay, is it a shitty insurance policy? Is it a good insurance policy? I mean, it depends on how you look at it, right? You can be like, is it a shitty day or a good day? Well, it depends (laughs) on how you look at it, right? But the point is, is like, 10 eggs is better than zero eggs. So Mm -hmm. at 36, if you have 10 eggs frozen, that's going to give you a better chance of pregnancy than trying to get pregnant 
at 39. Now, maybe those 10 eggs aren't going to work, but it's better than having done nothing. And that's really the way you have to look at it. What does 10 eggs mean? Because that doesn't mean I could get 10 chances of a baby. No, absolutely not. So 10 eggs means that you, at your age, you have a very high chance, greater than 50%, of at least one good embryo that should translate into a pregnancy. Okay. So 10 to one embryo is typically the ratio? That's I mean, you never know, right? So we don't know how it's going to fall. Are you going to be someone who has 10 eggs? Like nine are going to survive the thaw. Eight are going to fertilize. We don't know where you're going to fall on that, but we know for a 36-year-old, we would hope that you walk away with at least one or two good embryos. That's so wild. What would you like to see at 36? Because as an open conversation, because obviously I just did the procedure, the idea of doing this again makes me literally want to cry. It's not even feasible in this moment. Would you recommend I do it again? To play it safe, I would. Unless I always say, and we've had these conversations, I say to patients, who was the patient I spoke to today? Why am I like blanking? So, oh yeah, I know it was, 34. So she... The point is, is that if you are in a place where you're like, hey, I think I'm going to have a kid within the next two years or Hmm. one year, it's different than my patient that's like, I'm 35 and I have no partner. Mm. Because then I'm thinking, well, even if they met someone tomorrow, they're probably not having a kid for a minimum of two to three years, right? So I'm trying to play that out of my head versus the patient who comes to me and is like, I have a partner, I'm just doing this just in case, but I think we're going to try X amount of time. That makes a lot of sense. So by, I think we said February as an assessment or like my after yeah. my birthday in January, we could see where I'm yep. at and then what that timeline looks like. Because that's the thing that's wild to me. It's like, I got these 10 eggs that I was so excited about. And then it's like, but we'll see what happens. We don't know. And that's also just to like, I think, play it safe and try and give women the best opportunity. And the amazing thing is there are a lot of companies now that provide fertility benefits. Mm -hmm. So I will talk to patients about it. I'll be like, what do you have in your benefits? How much do you have left? What are you thinking? Because we can use that data to really find the best time to do different procedures. Mm -hmm. And I mean, if you have an employer that's willing to pay for it, that's incredible because this is out of pocket, right? For most patients, it is. Although it's changing a lot in New York and like San Fran, Miami, you'd be surprised. A lot of these big companies are starting to cover it. So what is a typical cost breakdown? Egg freezing is going to cost you about $11,000, $11,000. And then you have to pay for the medication separately, which can cost up to $6,000. Now, sometimes your insurance company will pay for the drugs, mm-hmm. but it won't actually pay for the procedure. So it really depends on what your specific insurance is. Mine did not. <laughs> Zero coverage. (laughs) Which is not uncommon, but I will say the landscape is changing a lot. Mm -hmm. So maybe I'll get a big corporate job by the time I do it, if I do it again next year. And just in preparation for people listening that are thinking about doing it, how do you prime your body? Are there any supplements that you'd recommend? What do you think? I've always been very miss. I'm very cautious about that stuff because I feel like, okay, going back to the theme of this podcast, we as women love to blame guilt ourselves, right? I did this. This is what happened. I'm to blame. I'm to blame. There is no reliable data that says if you take CoQ10, your eggs are going to be great. But if you didn't, then your eggs are not going to be great. And I think the reality of that is I say to patients, you can definitely take it, but I can't tell you if it's going to help or it's going to hurt. What I think about fertility and fertility treatment is we're so out of control because we can't control what happens here. So if you want to drive the car a little bit and you want to be in control and that means I'm going to take supplements and I'm going to do acupuncture and I'm going to change my diet, go for it. 
But if you're going to become a miserable person because you're like, I'm taking supplements, I'm taking these shots, I'm like, all right, then stop the supplements. Do what's going to be best for you because that at the end of the day is going to make you happy. During the menstrual cycle, the body goes through several changes, including gastrointestinal, think bloating or looser stool, and dermatological, like breakouts or texture. Luckily, Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic includes strains that have been studied to support healthy, clear-looking skin by way of the gut skin access and supports healthy digestion. Be consistent with taking your daily probiotic to support healthy digestion and your microbiome throughout the month. Visit seed.com and use the code RESCRIPTED for 30% off your first month's supply. I will say that my acupuncturist, Nicole Kruk, I don't know if you've worked with her. She's phenomenal. And for me, it just was like another holistic approach because I was so, I was injecting myself with so much medication to then have this more therapeutic, holistic approach was actually a beautiful way to go through it for me. And a lot of people say that. They're like, and a lot of times the acupuncturists are... They're much more sort of patients. They have a lot more time with you. Mm -hmm. So you may be like, you know what? Or like, it's the most amazing nap. You're like, when do you go someplace and like nap as an adult for 30 minutes? Someone's like, I need your phone. You're like, yes, I'm giving it up. You know, so I think that that part's really nice too. It's almost like they're the doulas of egg freezing or something. Oh my God, you're so right. Think about it. It just occurred to me. So for people who are on the fence, like I was certainly on the fence for many years. And I have to say, while the emotions are still surging, I'm so relieved I did it. And I'm so proud yeah. of myself. It's like a feeling of courage because nothing scares me more than going to the doctor. That's just like my biggest fear that I literally came up against every day. And I feel like I could literally do anything. What would you say to people who are on the fence, maybe want to do it and have the means to do so or see an option to do so, but aren't sure? I think just start, just come in and see where you are with your fertility because that you're not committing. It's not like you're signing up for it. You have to do it. You're finding out the information. And if you say at the end of the day, it's not right for me, it's not right for you. But at least come in and learn about it because I think then you'll never look back. I think one of the worst feelings is to look back and be like, shoot, like why didn't I at least explore that? Why didn't I check it out? If you did and you didn't do it, you'll be like, you know what? I knew about it. I just didn't want to do it. It wasn't right for me. Talk again about apologizing. You'll forgive yourself more because you'll be like, it just didn't, wasn't right. And I really think it's important for people to come out that either regretted that they didn't do it like Jennifer Aniston. Oddly, that was a huge turning point for me. I thought that was beautiful for her. I really did. I'm like, you go. Because Mm -hmm. she really regretted that she didn't give herself that choice. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm a big believer sort of in like fate, like everything happens for a reason. So maybe she wasn't meant to do that. But I also think maybe her not doing it, her message helped so many other women. And maybe that's what her role was. Mm -hmm. And a lot of celebrities coming out, like I know Paris Hilton froze her eggs and just women taking charge of their bodies and encouraging other people to do the same. I think being vocal is so important and I respect people's privacy. So I'm not saying like you have to shout it from the rooftops. But when you're in a position of power and like, not just power, but you're very visible to society, unfortunately, you do sort of have to be more transparent because that will help other people find their journey. Yeah. Oh, and I forgot to ask, where are my eggs right now? Where are those little cuties? <laughs> they're at home with me. No, just joking. Um, <laughs> I sleep with them every night. <laughs> I know. They're at CCRM. They're uh-huh. frozen and they will soon make their way to a place called Tomorrow. Not like tomorrow, you know, Annie, but it's a place that is a repository for egg freezing and it's an automated system. It's amazing. 
let's walk through that really quickly so people understand the storage process. So it's not like you do it and you say goodbye. There's a attachment to your eggs financially. Oh, yes, you are attached to them. So basically, the first year of storage is included in the cost of the egg freezing cycle. And then from there on in, you pay per year. Oh, that's great. Will they yeah. notify me? Yes. People are always like, oh, my God. I'm like, they will notify yeah, you. I'm like, don't oh, worry God. About it. That's my, yeah, can you no, imagine? Yes. No, don't worry. So is this worth every penny? I mean, you're talking to a woman who like, Does I, all I talk about is eggs all day long. So yes, I would say it's beyond worth it. Because I've sat with so many women who are just so regretful when they're there in their deep 30s and their early 40s that they didn't do it. I always say, but it wasn't available really then. So like, yes, it sucks that this is happening to you, but there's probably not that much you can do to change it. But now it is available and it's becoming more and more mainstream. So I think if you have the ability to do it, I think you should do it. Yeah, I think even two years ago, it's different than when I decided to do it now. The way people are talking about it. Completely. It's completely different. I've looked at a lot of stats on this because I've just been curious. Even my own personal numbers, like double, because it's just so much more commonplace. And just out of curiosity, who are typically freezing their eggs? It's changed. It used to be women who, I've said that the age drop-off is significant. Initially, it was women in their 40s, right? Mm -hmm. And then it was late 30s. And really, that's why it got such a bad rap because people were like, oh, God, egg freezing is terrible. And I was, well, it's not that it's terrible. The women who are freezing are terrible. Not that they're terrible. Their ovaries have reached a terrible state. So now it's young 30s. That's like probably the average age. I wish I did it a bit earlier. I think also people think, oh, I don't have to. I have plenty of time, but that's probably the time to do it. And I've talked a lot about this too. Is like, it's interesting. We go to our OBGYN, you get a pap smear and you talk about a mammogram and like safe sex practices. But why doesn't your OB say to you at 32, hey, miss, what are your fertility plans? I've always thought it's because we don't want to put pressure on women. We don't want to be like, bring up a topic that maybe seem insensitive. But that's our job as female healthcare providers to be like, hey, what are you thinking? Because the time may come where it's not so easy. Mm -hmm. How do we have that happen? Are you writing your book? My book. Yeah. No, your book? <laughs> want to give a sneak no, peek? I know. I'm very bad at the elevator pitch. I get a terrible elevator pitch. But no, it's really about why this needs to become a common topic, not only just amongst friends, and but amongst you and your doctors. Mm -hmm. Well, also, I just want to tell everybody, I've known Dr. Notman since I'm probably 14 or 15 years old when yeah. she was in medical school. And right. it's just really special to have this relationship with you and to I don't know. It feels very full circle. And I think who you choose as your doctor is so important because they become your advocate in every sense of the word. So I just want to say I'm so lucky to have been with you through this process. I, I could not you're have like, done I feel like else. you're like a younger sister to me or like my niece. Like remember I am. before the retrieval, you're like, I'm going to die. I'm like, I'm not going to let you die. Are you kidding me? Fine. I'm like, we're going to yeah. go play some Taylor in the <laughs> OR. Yeah. There's Taylor. Now there's Rocket Man. Yeah. People are like, I hate Taylor. I'm like, I can't take care of you if you say such a thing to me, you know? Sacrilegious in my OR. Terrible. And what are you sorry for apologizing for? Oh, God, everything, right? I was thinking about that. I'm like, my older daughter says sorry 100 times a day. And, and how old is she? Like 12. Why do we do that? Why do we say sorry for everything? I don't know. As women, we're always taught to be like docile, meek, and you speak up, you're loud, you're annoying. Oh, God, she's so annoying. No way. Like men don't get treated like that. Why is that? I like your 
That's a good name for a podcast. Do you have something you're sorry for? Oh God, what am I? I don't know. I'm always sorry. You know, it's interesting for me. I think sometimes I feel a lot of guilt for working, you know, hard or like not being there for everything because I feel like, oh, are my kids missing out that I'm not always there? But the reality is, it's like, I think for me, it makes me a more well-rounded person. And maybe that's a good role model that I'm showing for them. And yeah, I can't make every school event or every whatever it is. But at the end of the day, maybe I am showing them something that's really important. You are. And they're so lucky to have you as their mom. You're incredible. <laughs> so funny. Our OR nurses are like, oh, we're going to make you our mom. I'm like, what? <laughs> they're like, we, we we want you to take us here and there. And I'm like, I'm not always that good. Trust me, I too lose my cool. But I think what inspires me every day is I feel so incredibly blessed to be a mom and to have my two girls. It is the most wonderful gift that I've ever been given. So I always think, God, I want to share this with other people. I want to pay this forward. And that's why I get so emotionally connected and so involved because I really want people to be able to experience that if they do want to. Well, you make me want to. So thank (laughs) you for everything you do and just being such an amazing vision and source of wealth of information. No, just thank you for being you and for being so amazing and brilliant and helping so many people in this really challenging journey. I think you have to be like a partner and you have to really understand what helps that person get to the destin- you know, their destination because we're so different. Some people yeah. need you to hold their hand. Some people are like, get away from me. Some people want honesty. Some people don't. You have to read the patient and then help them help themselves because mm-hmm. I can't be the same doctor to you that I am to the next person because it may not work. Medically, of course I am, but how I help you get there is different. Mm. Well, you had to be my therapist. <laughs> <laughs> Where can we find you? Oh, you mean in life? Like, yeah, I'm like, like how I'm can people... on my couch. Yeah. Oh, um, I work at CCRM New York, 8107 Bath, and they can come and visit us in Midtown Manhattan. Woo! Thank you, Jamie. Bye, Miss. Thank you Bye. so much for having me. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to Sorry for Apologizing, brought to you by Rescripted. If you enjoyed this week's episode, be sure to check out the show notes to learn more about our amazing guests. To stay in the know, follow me at Missy Modell on Instagram and TikTok or head to rescripted.com. And don't forget to like and subscribe. 